in this series, we have considered God's timing when it comes to renewal and rebuilding and revival in our lives, and that ultimately it's God's timing that we have to rely on. Then we saw that big group of folks who made the journey from uh, what is today Iran. It was Persia back then, and they came to the promised land, and they got to the, to the land that had been decimated by years of neglect. And they began to settle into their ancestral hand, uh, towns. And then we began, as we saw, as they began to rebuild the temple. And they began to order the parts and get the things together and start doing the work. And they started to worship and all those kind of things. They had an altar set up. And then last week we saw where uh, the enemies of God, <laughs> whenever you say, I'm going to get serious about the Lord, the enemies of God seem to rise up, don't they? And they jump in the way and they want to tear us down and they want to stop things. And that's what they did. And so at the end of... Uh, chapter 4, we find that the people of God have had to stop building on the temple. Now, we jump to chapter 5, and if you're concerned about chapters 5 and 6 being covered in one sermon, I promise you, we will make it. And I was reminded it was a bye week for the Cowboys, so it didn't really matter anyway. For those of you who like the Cowboys. All right. So, we're going to get through it. But we find ourselves fast-forwarding about 16 years. So here's what's happened. They've come to the promised land. They've settled in the land. They were starting to build the temple, and then the temple had to stop. Now, if the temple work stops, what do you do? You don't stop living. You keep on moving. They went to work on their own homes. They worked on their businesses. They worked on their fields. They worked on lots of things. But we come to this chapter in chapter 6 as well. We find that God says, you need to get busy about the things of God. I think if that if there's one word or one thought for us this morning is this. When God calls us to get busy about the things of God, we need to listen. That's kind of the, the short version. If you want the short version of the sermon, there it is, okay? But here's what I want you to see. There's five parts of this passage I want you to grasp. The first one begins right there in chapter 5 where we read these words. Now, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. You've heard of these guys, right? Old Testament, minor prophets, you probably sit around devotionally reading Haggai all the time. Yeah, me either, okay? But they're in there, and they have an important story to tell. Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Now, what did they do in that moment? Here's what happened. They prophesied. Now, if you look at these two characters, they really had different approaches. One of them was, was we'll call him a hellfire brimstone kind of guy. He really laid into the Jews. He tore into them, told them what they needed to do. That would be Haggai. The other guy was a little confrontational, but really more of your, oh, let me tell you, this is what we need to do. We need to come alongside you and encourage you, and let's work together and do this. That would be Zechariah. But they both had a word to speak to them. These people are living in the promised land. They've made the journey. They've come back. And now they're starting to to do the things that they want to do and are neglecting the things of God. You think, "But, but they were told they couldn't build the temple. That's correct. But God says it still needs to be done. And what he's speaking to ultimately is this. Their spiritual lives are beginning to languish. You know how that happens, right? Our lives in the Lord sometimes get a little stale, a little cold, a little slow, and we kind of let things kind of slide spiritually. That's what's going on in their lives. And into this moment, God sends these two prophets to speak to them and tells them, time to get busy, time to start working again, time to start building the temple. So what do the people do? They respond to God's call. They say, okay, let's go do it. Let's go to the temple and let's start rebuilding the temple. So what they're doing is they're returning to do what they're supposed to be doing 
anyway. And what is the response that comes in that moment? In that moment, there is a guy, and and I love Old Testament names. We ought to use more of these names for kids' names. But anyway, there was a guy named Tatanai. Today's story is really about Tatanai, if you want to follow along with it. It's ultimately God working. Look at verse 3. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sheth... Shethar Bozanai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who told you you could build a temple? That's the paraphrase. Who gave you a decree to build this this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and their answer be returned by letter. So catch the picture. That's Tatanai, the governor of the region. And there's a lot of debate in theological circles, not that it's really important to us, but there's some that say he was a good guy. He was really trying to help the Jews. And then there's a bunch that say he was a bad guy. He really wanted to stop them, but he was kind of a weak leader, wasn't sure how to do what he wanted to do. I tend to fall into the latter camp. I think he was a weak leader. But he says, he looks around and says, well, who told you you could build this? Who would, and I'm going to take some names. Boy, doesn't that sound like people you know. I'm going to take names. I know who's doing this. I'm going to write it down. He's going to do what our guy last week did. He's going to end up writing a letter in a minute. So he's trying to get his letter writing material together and to send the letter. And so he's going to write this letter and say, stop. But God's eye was still on his people. God's people are being faithful to serve the Lord. They're doing what God has called them to do. And that's the big picture we need to grasp through this is that when God speaks, we listen. How about the second point I want you to see? God then does something that I find very interesting. And I struggle with this part of the text because you're going, wait, wait, wait. God does what? I think what he does here is he he concedes the enemy opposition. He says, y'all go ahead. Give it a shot. See what kind of opposition you can come up with. See what kind of destruction you can create. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead for it. Go Give it a try. Look at verse 6. This is the copy of the letter that Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sheth... Shethar, Bozani, and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius. Remember that we have gone in 16 years from, for, through three kings in the Persian kingdom. We're in the third one at this point. And they sent him a report in which was written follows. To Darius, king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It's being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked these elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and finish the structure? We also asked them their names for your information that we might write down the names of the leaders. Drop down to verse 17. Therefore, it seems good to the king, let's search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was actually issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So let me tell you what's going on, just a short version of it. With the names taken, the list made, and the work on the temple continuing, Tatanai writes his letter and he wants to gain support from the current king, a guy named Darius, to stop the work. He speaks very flowery words in his letter, if you didn't catch that. But at the heart of his request is this. He goes, are the Jews really telling me the truth that they have permission from a guy named Cyrus who died years ago to do what they're doing? So he takes names. He sends a report. He tells them this is what's going on. What happens here I think is fascinating, at least to me. God could have stopped that letter. 
God could have caused the letter to disappear in the mail. You ever had that happen before in life? He could have caused things to not be carried out. Instead, God says, go ahead, give it a shot. And they write the letter, they send the letter. He could have caused these people to look the other way. Instead, God says, give it a shot. I can almost hear them saying things like this. Well, we don't want to cause any trouble, but we want to check and make sure. You know, you've heard those folks. God lets them run amok for a season. So let's drop down to chapter 6. told you it would be quick this morning. God then continues his provisions. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree. And a search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. Let me stop a second here. The Medes and the Persians were meticulous record keepers. I mean, these are the people that if you needed a copy of something, they had it. They had copies on copies, they, and they didn't change the rules very often. So they asked, he says, the decrees made, the searches made in Babylon, the house, the archives, where they stored. And in Ekbatana, now you're going, where in the world is that? Hang in there with me. The citadel that is in the province of Medea, a scroll was found on which was written as follows. I lost my place, sorry. A record... In the year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered. We're not going to read the rest of it because we dealt with that in the first sermon in the series, chapter 1. We heard all of that then. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, and his associates are in the province beyond the river. Keep away. And and, and Darius gives him three commands here in his letter. First of all, let the work of this house of God alone. Let the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding that you do shall do for these elders for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost, and here's the second one, is to be paid to these men in full without delay from the royal revenue and the tribute of the province beyond the river. And also I make a decree that if anybody alters this edict, a beam, you're going to love this, shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall become, be made a dunghill. That, that sounds just like lots of fun, doesn't it? May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who put out a hand to alter this. And Darius said, I make it and let it be. So with the letter from Tatanai arrives at King Darius, he says, we've got to find the records. I'm sure the records are here somewhere. Now, what's fascinating is that they weren't at the palace. They were at this place called Ekbatana. We don't have to worry about the location as much as what it was. It was like a retreat center for the king up in the mountains. So apparently the decree was given there and it was stored there, but they still found it. And he says, here's what that king said, they are to build it. Why? If you remember the first story in the chapter, in the book, it was build it so that what? They can pray for me. Pray that I would be successful. Pray that I would be a good king. Pray that I would be all right and healthy. So Tatanai has hoping to get support from the current king to stop the work. Huh. But the records are still there. And he says, okay, we're going to do this. What Tatanai does is he strengthens the Jews by getting their confirmation from the original king who started the process. He said, I made a decree that if anyone alters it, they will be, the house will be pulled apart with a beam taken out and they'll be impaled. What he's saying is, don't mess with me. Let them do what they're supposed to do. Darius is serious. He says, let them move forward. And he provides 
their provisions to accomplish what they need to accomplish. A pagan king gives resources to God's people to help them finish the work. Number four, God then completes the temple. Look at verse 13. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and these other associates with all, did it with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prophesied, prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel rejoiced. I'm not going to read the rest of it for sake of time. But when the word came down from Darius to work on the temple, the people had already been working on the temple while they responded, waited for the response. So they kept on working on the temple. They kept on committing themselves to the things of God. They kept on doing the things they were called to do. And God had spoken to them through the prophets to lead them back. And God had allowed the enemies to try to stop it, but God had provided the resources they needed to finish. The long and short of it is this. The people were able to complete the work on the temple at Jerusalem. And when they finished it, they had a big worship service. I didn't read it, but they offered 100 bulls and 200 rams and 400 lambs as a sin offering. And they did all these things. And you're going, why did they do that? Because that's how they worshiped in that day. They came into the presence of God. The same God we profess to worship today in the way that was relevant to them and worshiped God. And the priesthood was reestablished and life begins to normalize. And then finally, what God was celebrated by his people. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover and the priests and Levites were purified and they slaughtered the Passover. Now, why does it matter they celebrate the Passover? Well, we love, y'all know I love history. I'm trying not to get too deep into it this morning because I could. But what they're doing is looking back to a major event in the life of God's people with the Passover. You remember what that is? That's when God delivered his people from where? From Egypt. What have they just gone through over the last 15, 20, 16 years? They have been delivered from bondage once again. And so the first thing they do in the nation as the temple is completed, as the building is placed in place, the place they would worship God is completed, they celebrate Passover. Our Lord's Supper is a derivative from the Passover. It's a re-imaging of what it was about. So when we have Passover, when we have Lord's Supper, we're basically celebrating a form of the Passover still. And God begins to receive their worship, and they're being reminded of them. And they were grateful that God has turned his heart toward them, and he's allowing them to come back into the land and worship. Now, long story, three thoughts to go with it, and we'll get out by noon. You're welcome. Three things I want you to see. Number one, it's this. God provisions us in various ways. If we're going to find ourselves living lives that are faithful to God, that are living lives of Him renewing our hearts, of our living lives of revival, if you will, okay, there's going to take, there's a cost to it. There's a provision that's needed. And I want you to notice in this obscure passage the way God provided for His people. They've been back in the land about 16 years. They've worked on the temple. Their leaders had stopped them. Did they stop doing anything? No. Do you ever find yourself coming to a roadblock? Spiritually, 
And you think, I thought God was leading me this direction. And you get there and there's a wall. What do you do? Well, just sit down and wait. No. You keep on doing what you can do to keep yourself growing in the Lord. Let Him provision you in different ways. Their decision was this. We're going to work on our homes. We're going to work on our businesses. We're going to work on our our, our crops, our lands, whatever else. And and through all of this, God continues to provision them in some very interesting and and unusual ways. If you go back to the arrival in the land, do you remember who gave them the primary funding to get started? Pagan King Cyrus had given them all this money, had returned to them a lot of the items from the temple itself, and they were able to come back. If you consider the end of our story today, you see that God used the efforts of Tatanai to try to halt the work, but in the process, he provided more provision for his people. King Darius sent some cash. They also got some of the money from the taxes from their region. Who paid the taxes in their region? They did, but also all of these people that didn't like them, they were getting resources from the folks that hated them. To, this is a kind of a tie-in to the day's news. If you haven't watched, there's a whole lot of folks over there that hate the Jews still, and they're still struggling with this land issue. One of the more interesting things I think about our God is He is very resourceful in how He provides what we need to be the people. He wants us to be. That doesn't mean we stop planning. doesn't mean we stop thinking about and preparing for. But ultimately, God is going to make what we need to do as he calls us to do available. We just have to take the what? The step of faith. This is we're going to trust God. Our calling is not to worry and fuss over how to be faithful, but simply to be found faithful. Say that is it that simple? I really do think it is. You know, I, I look back over however many years that I've been following the Lord. I think next year will be fifty uh, in my life since I trust the Lord, and He has provided for me again and again and again in ways that I go, hmm, I never saw that coming, and He works. Paul put it this way when he wrote to the church at Colossae. They were a church that needed to be reminded of this, I think, kind of like we do. He said this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. What he was telling him is this, whether you're a pastor, a banker, a garbage collector, a nurse, or whatever else you happen to do in this life, a teacher, whatever, He says, do it as your calling to the Lord. Do the very best in that area. Serve the Lord with with a heartiness, with a commitment that says, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to do what he's called me to do. Our task is to put our whole hearts into whatever God opens the door for us to do. He said, well, I want to do what, don't worry about them. Don't worry about the one, just do what God's called you to do and be faithful there. As we all do that, we find that God works in us, and I think he brings about renewal and revival in our lives. Second thing I want you to see is this. We need to believe that God can actually work through us. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe, child of God, Christian, this morning, do you believe that God can work in your life and work through you? Some of us sit there and go, oh, I don't know. God, God, does, he know the, does he know my past? 
Does he know the mistakes I've made? Does he know the mess I've had? You know what? God knows it better than you know. And he still calls us to be faithful. One of the things I want you to see is this, is the people living in Judah and Benjamin have been dealing with obstacles and, str- obstacles and, 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 um, and struggles for close to 15 years in this land. They came back on faith, and yet things haven't finished at the temple yet. But through it all, they said, okay, we believe that God is going to work. We believe that God's going to work in us. God's going to lead us through it. And I don't think they fully understood the importance of being back in the promised land because they didn't really get what they were there for yet. They were there for what? To be the land and the place through whom the Messiah would come. The one we call Jesus. They've reestablished this place. Now, from our perspective, we can look back into their story and go, oh, that's easy. I see how that was working. God brought them back there. He established the land. He got the people where they needed to be, and the Messiah is going to come. We can see how God orchestrated their return. He rebuilt the temple that would be standing when Jesus stood there someday. That's to serve as the place that he would arrive later. There's something amazing in our lives, my friends, when we grasp the truth. God can do amazing things in our lives even when we don't fully understand it. I think about, I've shared this before, I think, but my spiritual, what I call my spiritual heritage, goes back to my grandfather that I never met because he passed away about a year before I was born. But if you go back to his dad, he was a sorry sucker, drunk, cheat and swindle. My grandfather said, that's not going to be my life. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to walk in the things of God. And he said, I'm going to raise my children that way. And he raised the two kids that survived that way to be faithful. And I believe I'm a product of that heritage. God said, I'm going to be, my my grandfather said, we're going to be faithful. Now, some of you are saying, well, my dad was not very good. Maybe you need to be the first generation. Maybe you be the one that starts the new heritage. But God wants to and can work through us if we let him do so. We just have to trust him. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia this notion, and I think it's a thought we need to wrestle with. He said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave myself for me. Paul was talking about his life, but you know what? He really was talking about our lives, that we're crucified in Christ. We don't live. It's Christ living in us. He's the one who carries us through this life. He's the one that empowers us. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that shows us. But you got to believe that God can work through you. You say, oh, no, God can't work through me. God can work through anybody, you included. And then the third thing I want you to see is this. Joy is found in faithful service. Did you notice I didn't write joy is found in perfect service? You know why? Because not one of us is going to be perfect, right? But you can be faithful. You can be faithful. There's a thought I want you to see in this extended passage where the people of God were able to worship. Now, at the temple that's such a foreign concept to us, isn't it? We think, well, I don't have to go to church to worship God. 
I can worship God in a boat on the lake, can't I? You can. I can worship God in the backyard. Yes, I can. But there's something special about God's people coming together and worship. They, however, had to go to the temple. That was how they did it. And, and, and they created this spot. But we are going to find joy in serving the Lord. One of the things I've been convinced, I can't speak it, but I can say it. One of the things I have become convinced of is the pathway to real joy is not found in getting my way. But in hearing, understanding, and then faithfully responding to God's leading. Because when I find myself in the center of His will, that's where I find joy. Way more than anywhere else. I believe the happiest person is the one who says, I've heard God call me in salvation and I trust Him. And then they take the next step that says this, I'm going to be faithful and follow God in whatever He opens in front of me. Think of it this way. God designed you with certain skills and certain talents and certain abilities and a certain passion. And then when you come to the Lord, He adds on top of that a spiritual gift or two and He opens those doors for you. You don't know where you're going sometimes. When I was, I was talking with, with uh, Sue this week about old New Boston. And old New Boston's before I lived here. No, it's way back, guys. When I was a kid, seven, eight, nine years old, I came to New Boston with my daddy and stayed at what is now the Bostonian Inn because that was the nice hotel back then. And I got to swim in the pool that used to be there. And if you'd have told me as that kid, you're going to move to New Boston someday, I would have said, why in the world would I do that? No offense. And here I am, almost a decade in, living here, loving this community, yelling, singing the songs on Friday nights at the football games and all the stuff. God will open the doors for you to be where he wants you to be. And you don't have to worry about the details, guys. Just take him step by step by step. And when you do that, you will find joy. I think the most joyless people on the planet are those who say, I'm going to do this, but it's not what God has for them. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He said this, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And by the way, the Greek word there is the is diakonos. It's the deacon. It's not an office. It's a function. And whoever will be first among you must be the slave. And that's a word that's translating doulos, which is a person, in, a bondservant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. What God calls us to do is to follow him with our whole heart, with our whole life. And that begins with trusting him in salvation. I get emotional when we have baptism because I'm seeing evidence of God at work. And when I see grown men going through, no offense, ladies, but when I see grown men going through the baptismal waters, I get really excited. As you say, get a man saved, he'll change his family. You get a wife saved, you might change the family. There's something about men stepping up and leading. What a blessing it is to see that. To step into and serve and and to follow. 
And so we've listened to the Lord. And so the question I guess I would ask you as we wrap up this morning is this. Have you met the Lord? You go, Ezra leads us to salvation? I think it does. Because what Ezra did in his day, in his people, in that story, is they established the land from where Messiah Jesus would come to provide for you and for me forgiveness of sin. That's the first step. For many of us, that step was done years ago. Now it's the second step or third step or fourth step is saying, God, I want to be faithful to you. I want to serve you. I want to listen to your voice. And that's so foreign in our culture. Our culture says what? I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I run my life. That's not it. And that's not joy. Joy is found in trusting the Lord and following him. So do you know him? This is your opportunity to trust him. Do you? Are you walking with him? Maybe you need to renew your commitment to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house this day. To hear songs by children, hear songs by adults, to worship you in music and prayer and giving. And I pray, God, that as we have looked at your word, that you would challenge us to be faithful. To listen to you leading and to go. Father, we pray your hand on these next few moments. Anyone that needs, one that needs to respond, we pray that you would let them do that. And we pray that you'd bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.